Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said this. Matthew 5, verse 17, probably edit most of that out of the YouTube video. Verse 17, Jesus, continuing his Sermon on the Mount, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the prophets. He says, I came to fulfill them. Now this, this goes against some of the, the teachings um, of people misinterpreting some of the writings of Paul. I've, I've actually heard people say, you know, when Jesus came, the law ended. When Jesus came, the law was no longer prevalent. When, when Jesus came, he finished the law. When Jesus came, the Old Testament no longer has precedent. Are you with me? That's bad teaching. You can't have liberty without the law. Come on, if you don't have something to go by, then there is no definition of freedom. You can't even define what it means to walk in truth if you don't have truth defined. Are you with me? So I'm just, uh, Jesus Christ, he came. And so anytime you ever hear somebody trying to extend grace into a place that it does not belong, we need to remember that right after the Beatitudes and right after Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And then he says, and let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give God glory. The next statement that he makes according to the very meticulous Matthew is do not think. He just said, let your good, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and give God glory. He is now saying, based off of that statement, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not here to unsay what they have said. For all the people that think, well, that's Old Testament. We don't go by that anymore. Hang in here with me for a moment today. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. It's still here, y'all. Just a little slight illustration, it's. It's still here as we know it. But until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. Come on, go bulldogs. What do you say right there? You made it in the Bible. Come on. Somebody. We knew Eunice was in there. That was Timothy's mama. But some of y'all didn't know iota was in there too. Hey, yeah, Eunice people thinking they better. Iota's in there too. And he said, iota ain't passing away. Come on, somebody. Else. All right, anyways, if you're not from here and you're watching iota, you Google it. All right, iota. Not one, not an iota. That's actually a Greek word that means like not one cross, not one smudge, not one stripe. Okay, remember the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek, a much more technical language than English, even to write out. You ever seen a Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek word, letter, written? There's much more to it than just, mm, ah. <laughs> He's saying, listen, there's not one brush stroke of the divine pen, not an iota, not a dot that will pass from the law until 
All is accomplished. Watch this, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, this is not meant to make you religious. Because if Jesus wanted to form another religion, then he could have just come down and expanded Judaism. And he would have come down and instead of correcting the Pharisees, he would have complimented them. Because nobody was more religious than the scribes and the Pharisees of Judaism. This is not an either or conversation. And we as the people of God need to stop getting stuck on one side just because we don't understand the other. Is anybody with me this morning? He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and or teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I think that heaven is smiling upon this church today because of what this church showed this community yesterday. And if you say, well, I wasn't here, I missed out. No, you're a part of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. If you've ever given anything, if you've ever served anywhere, if you call this place home because you're part of the family, come on, you get to be part of the reward. As long as you're sowing, then you shall continue reaping. That ain't in my notes, but it's for somebody. Number one, if you're taking notes, to continue to be called great according to heaven and not to earth. Number one, don't take the bait. Several years ago, I believe his 20-year anniversary of the book came out. Pastor John Bevere wrote a book called The Bait of Satan. He discussed and defined overcoming offense. And he points to the passages in the book of Matthew and 2 Timothy and the book of Luke. And today I just sensed as I stumbled upon an interview of that 20-year anniversary that I needed to remind the church today that we need to stop taking the bait of the enemy and society. I think that we need to stop taking the bait, come on, of our own temptation. I think that we need to stop taking the bait of division over vaccinations. Oh, come on. So I think we need to stop taking the bait of politics in the house of God. I'm not saying that there's not a place to promote certain platforms that are biblical absolutes. What I'm saying is nobody in this nation represents Jesus the way the church can, so the church needs to start defining and stop falling and dividing. It's not up to us to be divided. It's up to us to be defined. Don't take the bait. I'm, I'm, I'm planting this in you right now. 
I'm telling you right now, I sense in my spirit, 2024 will be the most divided, divisive year that the United States of America and the body of Christ have ever seen. I am warning you right now on the way to midterm elections, if it ain't biblical, then don't divide yourselves over it. Stand on the mountains and the biblical truths, but do not take, let me say it, if it ain't biblical, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10. That was about half the church. I hope the other half feels that way too because I don't want to see 50% of y'all leave. I don't know if you heard me, but God's given us too much to do. (laughs) Romans chapter 10, verse 4, the Bible says in the English Standard Version, Paul writing to the church of Rome, he says, Christ is the end of the law. And some people stop right there. See, Christ ended the law. That's true if you stop right there, you don't read the rest of the sentence, you don't look at the context of the passage, and you've never read the book of Matthew. You could be confused. If you just simply stop and look at the Greek definition of that word end, it does not mean like we think of something being over. It's like when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. It didn't mean that everything was done. It means something new's begun. Come on, somebody. It doesn't mean that this thing is over. It means that it is consumed, it is fulfilled, and now it can be completed. For Christ is the consummation. He is the completion. He is the fulfillment. Actually, the Greek definition even uses the word toll. He is the payment for the law and righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul wrote also to the church in Galatia chapter 3, verse 24. He says, so then the law was what? It's not a rule to keep you from having fun. It's not a rule to try to make you miserable. See, God knows what freedom really is. God knows what truth is actually absolute. It doesn't sway with the wind, and it's not redefined by man's enlightened understanding as if we understand something new and or fresh whenever the Bible says that Solomon was the wisest that had ever walked the earth. The law is your guardian. It's your guide. Why do you have rules in your house? It's for the protection of the people that... If you don't have rules and guardrails and guidelines, why do they build walls between the edge of the cliff, come on, and the bottom of the valley so that somebody foolishly... On their phone, I left it down there. Doesn't just (laughs) walk down. There's a guardrail there so that you don't walk off the edge of the cliff 
and have to recover from the fall. The law is a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Watch, he doesn't stop, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. Might I, I know, well, you're not supposed to add to or take away, but you can't take one scripture out of context. We're no longer under the guardian alone. It's not that it's not still applicable. You know, things like, don't murder, love the Lord your God, have no engraven images, statues, or idols. I'm, verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons, daughters, children of God through faith. Through faith. And just to show you that it hasn't ended, Paul actually says in Romans chapter 3, not in your notes, verse 31, so, so should we no longer acknowledge the law? He says this in the English, certainly not. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like Paul's talking to his children. Did I change the rule? What did I say? The lamp's laying on the floor. Gabriel has a whelp on his back the size of a Nerf dart. It's crazy. I don't know where it came from. How far did I say? You know, a sister's got a mark on a cheek because there was retaliation. What have I told you about keeping your hands? To, did I say, just because I gave you grace last time? Does that mean that you can just continue to do whatever you want? But like Paul's like with his children right there. Certainly not. Because <laughs> he, he was not married and so he didn't have like, Megan, I need you because I'm about to, whoo. <laughs> and they're all like, he's going to do it. He's not going to do it. Please just let mama handle this. <laughs> Certainly not. Watch this. He says this in Romans 3.31. In fact, it is my faith that causes me to uphold the law. So which one is it? Let me give you just quickly side note for the people that really care and, and want to know things like this. You, you can't be confused by taking verses out of context. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, you need to study to show thyself approved. You need to study to continue to learn. And these days, you gotta be careful who you study. Come on, you gotta be careful of the source. Come on, cause somebody could TikTok you into stupidity. I'm just saying. Come on, somebody could YouTube you the wrong way and confuse you and confound you. And so we recommend what Paul said, test everything that is said. Don't just assume that you're being told the truth. Make sure it lines up with the truth. Okay, we've got to continue in the right direction. There were, three, there were three standards of law in the Old Testament, and some people may want to argue this, or there were at least three, okay? One standard of law was ceremonial law. Um, I, didn't, I didn't wash or sacrifice any lambs before I came in here this morning. I didn't, because 
the Lamb of God has already shed his blood and reserved me the right to enter into the presence of the Most Holy. So when I came through the door, I pled the blood of Jesus and I went into prayer because that's what he did. But there were ceremonial laws. Now, my garments were washed, I think. And then I think they were even ironed. If not, they were sprayed with that downy wrinkle release. You know what I'm saying? And it semi fell into place. But there were specifications of what the priest had to do. Come on, hear me. Listen, watch this. I can't overpreach this, but I want to. <laughs> the priest, only the priest and the high priest could go into the presence of God for the people of God. It was the responsibility of the priest, are you with me, to go into the presence of God for the people of God. Until, says the author of Hebrews, the high priest came once and for all, and he entered into the presence of the Most High, and he made a way that we now, not just the priest, I done said it and stepped in something, not just the priest, but we, those who are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, now reserve the right because the blood of the ultimate lamb. There is no person that I need to follow into the presence except for the person of the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ made a path for me to come into his presence. So I approached the throne of grace with boldness. Come on, somebody. I have a hope that is an anchor that leads me into the presence of the Almighty. I told you I, I was going to overpreach it. Ceremonial, ceremonial law. Some of those things have changed. Because Christ completed, there was ceremonial law. There was cultural law. I don't know about you, but I'm glad some of the cultural law has adapted ever so slightly. Because I love, guys, love, I love pork steaks. I love them. Come on, somebody. Oh, I felt that deep in my soul today. I love pork steaks because I know how to cook them and I know how to keep them. And I have this thing they didn't have in the Old Testament called a freezer. In the Old Testament, they didn't have a freezer, so they couldn't eat. Now, some of us need to return to some of those principles. <laughs> Come on, we got back aches and knee aches because our knee weren't, weren't created to carry that much pork. I'm trying to help somebody today. <laughs> cultural. There were cultural laws at the time. But let me tell you the thing that doesn't change. The moral law has not changed. So, like, it's still not good that you murder. It's still not good that you commit adultery. It's still just as prevalent today that one man be united in holy matrimony with one woman. And that is the biblical definition of, I didn't got time to preach all of it today. I'm just saying we have to be able to designate the differences in Scripture without trying to justify our sin. Could you type that? Because I need to say that again in another service. Jesus is about to... Who I took too long. I'm going to have to fast forward quick. I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture, and then I'm going to pray over you. Jesus is about to address the top two things. You remember when he had just said, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments... 
is the least of these, but, and whoever teaches or exemplifies. See, you teach people whether you know it or not. You teach people not just by what you say, but by what you show. And people will justify their relaxation and their complacency based on your lack of passion and purpose. Whoever relaxes, and Jesus is now about to address two things, the first two things that people will relax. The first one is anger. We think it's okay to be mad at people. We think it is okay to hold bitterness against people and God. And Jesus said in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Yes, we agree with that. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. See, Jesus is addressing that because like we have in the church today, he had too many people patting themselves on the back for practicing religion. Jesus had too many people patting themselves on the back for getting parts of what God said. He had too many people who were relaxing in their pursuit. I'm going to come back to it. So Jesus, he didn't take away from the law. He did the opposite. He added to it. I didn't tell you not to just murder. But I say to you, verse 22, I say to you that everyone who is angry... Well, that ain't no good. He didn't really mean that. He just said whoever relaxes this is in kingdom trouble. He makes one more statement about murder, and everybody goes, well, yeah. And then he says, but I tell you, if you continue in anger against your brother, you're liable for the same judgment. God help me. Whoever insults his brother... By the way, that's not just designated to in-person. That could be over the internet. My God, help us today. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, even if what they're saying is foolish, we are never justified in laying down our salvation and calling it righteous indignation. Insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the... Whoo! <laughs> Jesus is getting... I don't think people are listening to Jesus or, or, or something. Something's happening. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, and then he continues, you need to go deal with that. Because until you deal with that, you're not going to be able to deal with this. Hear me. Listen to me. Hear me. Your anger can get in the way of God's altar. That's what Jesus is saying. I have an altar for you. I have a place where I want to meet with you. But until you get the anger out of the way, then the anger is in the way of the altar that I want to do, come on, and the alteration that I want to do in your life. That's why John Bevere, quickly, he points to Luke chapter 17, and he says right there in verse 1 of Luke 17, reading the scriptures, Jesus said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Somebody's going to make you mad today. 
And then tomorrow, somebody else is going to make you mad. Jesus is saying, it is not whether somebody makes you mad, Christian. (laughs) It's about what you do. He just got finished talking about the Beatitudes. This is the same sermon. He's still in the same context. And he tells us in the book of Luke later on that offenses are... you. Listen, here's two things that are promised from God. You ready? Tribulation and people that bring them. Offenses are going to come. It's going to happen to everybody. But woe to the person through whom they come. This word offenses, it's the Greek word scandala. It's where we get the word scandalous. It is figuratively the idea, because Greek words come with pictures to the Greek. The picture that the Greek would perceive whenever Jesus used this word, He spoke Aramaic, translated to Greek. The Greeks would have understood this to be like the bait stick hanging in the cage or the snare. It would would be like the bait on the bear trap. It it would be like the red diesel-soaked rotten corn that you throw in the pen to catch all of these godforsaken pigs all over the place, tearing up everybody's property and scaring off our deer. See, that's why it's okay to eat pigs now. Come on, somebody. And Jesus is saying, it is impossible that you're going to go through a day and not have an opportunity to be baited into a trap. Are y'all okay? By the devil. And that trap, the first one that Jesus addresses in Matthew 5, is anger. And bitterness. But Jesus isn't done. Because he then moves to the second most detrimental desire of even the children of God. Watch this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. Just, I'm just still reading. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I say to you. That everyone who, well, it's not a sin to look. Don't relax. He just said, if you relax this principle, then you're going to walk into a snare. And you're going to end up a statistic. There's a bait trap set by the devil and powers and principalities of darkness well this world is so hell bent this world is so deceit this world is so impure i mean everywhere i stop looking at it (laughs) if you stop clicking on it it'll stop showing up it's reading your algorithms Come on, somebody. Alexa told them what to advertise to you. I can't get no help today. I told you not even. You know who Alexa is. Everyone who looks at a woman, she talks back too much too. With lustful intent. Can we change this to a guy that won't talk? Anyways, all right. I'm sorry. I'm back. 
Anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, people have preached this, but you remove it from the context and you don't fully understand it. And you just sit around and tell people, stop, don't. And every time they accidentally do, they think they're in sin, then they become ashamed and they feel guilty. And so instead of overcoming it and pursuing righteousness, faith, hope, and love, they begin to fall and succumb to the temptation and they beat themselves up and ultimately they just give up altogether. And the devil has his way because they stumbled into the snare they saw the bait stick, they meditated on the bait stick, they went to the bait stick, they took a bite, and now they're trapped. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Listen, please don't come to church next week with eye patches. That's not. But he's saying it is better for you to lose one member than that you would lose your whole body and be thrown into hell. Now, he also goes on to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it would be better for you to lose your right hand than for your whole body to go into hell. And, and I'm reading these texts, and I was a youth pastor long enough, and I'm just confused. Because most people don't need to remove their right eye. They just need to delete an app. Most people... Don't need to cut off their hand. They just need to keep it off of themselves. I can't get no real help today. It's only awkward because you know what I mean. If you didn't know what I meant, then it wouldn't make you feel awkward. Because if I said that in front of my children at this time, and I pray it continues for a long time coming, they wouldn't even know what I was talking about. If your social media causes you to sin... Is it really worth it? If your excessive internet access causes you to sin, it would be better that you're not floating around in social media world than it would be for you to be thrown into hell because you took the bait and got stuck in the trap. Some of you might not need to delete it, but all of us, us, not you, us, all of us, write this down, it's not in my notes, you need to know it. All of us need more accountability than we have access. If you have more access to sin than you do accountability over sin, then you have set yourself up for disaster. That's why I just cannot, for the life of me, understand why parents would give children unmitigated, unaccountable access. I don't have time to preach the whole sermon. I'm getting stuck today because I have seen so many walk into the trap. Well, they just enjoy Snapchat. Yeah, Snapchat enjoys them too. And everything they're sending that you can't see, it's not actually being deleted. It's being stored. Oh, no, 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 not on a database. It's being stored in their brain, and it is causing them to behave a certain way. It's forming patterns in their mind that will ultimately affect whether they do or do not produce on behalf of the kingdom of God. We as parents and grandparents and people in the church are allowing agendas through and on social media to develop our worldview more than we are the Bible. No wonder we're confused. 
I came to tell somebody today, don't take the bait. Stop letting your young people, your sons and your daughters, go out by themselves alone with the opposite sex. They can't keep their hands off of one another. Why in the world would they do it when you're not around? They can't sit in here and not hold one another. Can, let me just declare something. If she ain't yours, get your hand off of her. Can I get some help from the church today? If you want to hold her, then buy her a ring. But until you get out your mama's house, come on somebody, until you get out your daddy's house, cover that things up and keep your hand off of it. I'm trying to help this generation because we are ensnared by the trap of the devil. And the church relaxed. And we think it's okay. Well, they're all going to make mistakes. No, they might go to hell. They might never recover. Unless you just want to relax. I got to finish this. Verse 25, correcting his opponents. Oh, we're good at the first part. It's that second half we don't do so well with. You need to correct somebody as if the way that you correct them, God's going to correct you. That's your measure for correction. Here's what you need to ask. Does me correcting this person better serve me or does it better serve them? And if you're serving yourself in the name of Jesus, you heard me say it a minute ago. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of, verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I got to do this quick because I need you to understand that anger, anger and lust are going to destroy this nation. Anger and lust are killing the church. Killing the church. It is not time to relax. I have these sheets. Come help me. Pastor Weston, you're right there. You mind? We've got this big stupid debate. I'm going to, I got to quit saying that word. Is it, is it the law or is it life? Is it good or is it evil? Was the Old Testament just something that pointed us in a general direction and now it's no longer applicable because Jesus came now and it's all grace and it's all forgiveness and it's all mercy. Come on, it's all love, love, love. My God, bless it. They've, they've redefined love. And the church bought the lie. We still think that love has something to do with the way you feel about somebody. Love has nothing to do with the way that you feel. It has to do with the way that you commit. I, oh, my God, I ain't got time to, to preach that one today. Which one is it? Law, truth, or life and grace and love and mercy? Guys, here's the truth. Come together. The fulfillment, the completion you can't have truth without grace. You can't have the law without the life. You cannot have 
justice without some mercy somewhere, but you can't have mercy for the person that was actually offended without authentic justice. It's not holiness, come on, or happiness. It's holiness alongside of the forgiveness of God. This doesn't mean that I just get to extend this thing. Come on, I'm going to lean into life. And the last time I checked, life has a name. And when you put these things together, flip it around, you see that God was the solution from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 all the way to Revelation chapter 22, it's all about Jesus. The grace is about Jesus. Come on. The glory is about Jesus. The holiness is about Jesus. The judgment is about Jesus. The law is about Jesus. The love is about Jesus. The life is all about Jesus. You can't have any of these. We're not here without Jesus, thank you guys. Come on, praise God one more time before we close. It's not this or this. Both. He is. I, don't, I have some extra reading for you. I know y'all are going to do it too. Y'all are all going to take selfies reading the Bible this afternoon. The parallel to Matthew chapter 5 is Luke chapter 6. I don't have time to read it. But if you want to see what else Jesus said and some of the details from another perspective, then you go read Luke's letter as well. Here's what I can tell you. It has nothing to do with being divided over temporary, ignorant things. And there's two things that are going to kill this church if we relax. I don't know about you. I'm not relaxing. There's two things that are going to kill your spirit. There are two things that will kill your child. There are two things that will kill your influence for the kingdom of God. Anger and lust. He's got some more. Pastor Weston's going to preach on it this next week. But that's where Jesus started. And that's what Paul confirmed. Don't fall into this trap. Don't take the bait. Lean into life.